Our opening and closing theme is by Midnight Syndicate. For more dark instrumental music like it, visit www.midnightsyndicate.com or find them on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or Alexa. Hey guys, and welcome back to Freshly Brewed Noir. I'm Jennifer. And I'm Summer. And this is episode two. Phoebe Hansjuk. Are you ready for this one? Oh yeah, I've been ready. Should we put a disclaimer out about the content of this case? If you guys get squeamish about severed limbs. It's a heavier episode. Yeah. If you can't handle that, then maybe skip over the gory details when we get there. Yeah, absolutely. I've oh, I've wanted to cover this one for a while just because this is the one that, like I said before, got me into true crime podcasts. I think the Phoebe case was the first true crime podcast that I sent you. Yeah, it was. And we need to just jump right in. So Phoebe Hansjuk was a creative, beautiful 24-year-old woman. She was always painting, drawing, writing, and she is described by family and friends as unconventional and adventurous. She worked as a receptionist and lived with her then 43-year-old boyfriend, Anthony Hample. He was an event promoter. She lived in a luxury apartment building in Melbourne, Australia. She had a special bond with her grandmother and they could talk about anything that was happening in her life. On December 1st, 2010, at 10.30 a.m., Phoebe sent a text to various family members and Antony that read, Hi family, I'm in bed, about to sleep. When I wake, I will transform into the most incredible human being you've ever seen. Not, I will go to hospital. It's much safer there, and I hear the special tonight is tomato soup. Delicious, nutritious. I love you all very much, but not enough to send an individual text. Sorry, it's time to sleep, and I must be on my way. Merrily, merrily, life is but a dream. This was on December 1st. And what a text to receive. It could be concerning to some. Yes. If I received that from someone in my family or my friends, that would definitely make me feel concerned. You'd probably want to check on them and just make sure they're okay, right? Absolutely. So the next day, on December 2nd, Phoebe had plans to meet up with her dad for a belated birthday celebration in the evening. She was seen via CCTV footage that morning returning to her apartment building after a fire alarm around 11.50 a.m. She spoke to members of the fire brigade and took the lift to the 12th floor where she shared an apartment with Anthony. This would be the last time Phoebe was seen alive. Later that day, around 7.06 p.m., the apartment concierge, Miss Oslop, went to get a broom from the ground floor refuse room. Upon opening the door to the refuse room, Miss Oslop saw Phoebe's body lying face up on the ground a short distance from the door. Her jeans were pulled down to her thighs. There was a severe injury to her right ankle and the room had blood smears all over the ground. Miss Oslop immediately ran to get her manager and emergency personnel were called. Wow. So we see her walking on CCTV footage, right? Walking her dog. Yes. About 11.50 a.m. She's leaving the apartment building, comes back, and it was a fire alarm that prompted walking the dog out. And so the next time we see her or hear of her, she is found in the refuse room. Right. And this is later in the evening of that same day. So around 7.06 p.m. I guess we need to get into like the details of what happened that day? Let's establish a timeline. We're going to start that morning at 8.30 a.m. Anthony, her boyfriend, accessed the building gym. And this is all recorded off the footage. And you can go online and you can see the video. And she doesn't appear to have anything wrong. She's just walking the dog out. Uh, she looks stable um, in her gait. Nothing seems off. 
So she just looks like she's doing like normal daily activities. Right. Got her purse, walking the dog out, comes in, and nothing seems strange at that point. Okay. Then at 12.01 p.m. and 12.02 p.m., a computer analyst established that new iMac files were created on her computer. Then at 2.19, there was recorded activity, and it was potentially automated on the computer again. Then at 6.05, there was a second alarm, but it's not known if she left the building at this time. And so since there were two alarms, was there any correlation or was that just random? I think just two random alarms. Then at 6.09 p.m., Antony arrived in the building car park, and this is identified by a door swipe. So he returned home to find that Phoebe was not in the apartment and there were some post-it notes, lit candles, and broken glass in the kitchen. He states that it appeared to him that she had been drinking vodka and he noticed a couple of drops of blood on the mouse of the iMac laptop computer that they shared. Her bag, keys, and wallet were still in the apartment. The laptop was open and her Gmail account was open. So he gets home and there is a mess. Blood and broken glass. Mm-hmm. And Phoebe's her not there. stuff is still there. That's immediately alarming, right? What I mean, what does he do after this? So after this, it looks like there was a file created at 6.19 p.m. on the computer. Uh, Antony states that he used the computer from 6.19 to 6.34 to search the history for any notes she may have left or any website she may have visited. So what did he find? He didn't find anything. Is that something you would do if somebody was missing? Would you just immediately go and search the computer history? Absolutely not, no. But do you think he did it because he thought, well, the computer's open. She must have just been on it. Maybe she went somewhere and this would give me an idea of where she went. Even then, if that if I came home and saw a computer up, that's not the first thing I would do. I would probably call somebody. And you're pretty techie. So then at 6.51, Phoebe's dad called her iPhone when she missed their dinner plans. Her phone was believed to be in the repair shop at that time. Then at 6.52 p.m., Antony called Phoebe's dad from his own phone, and they spoke for three and a half minutes. Phoebe's father stated that he hadn't heard from her. Antony stated that he was worried and hoped she would walk in soon. Then he said he fed the dog, had a cigarette and a beer. Then he ordered some takeout. That makes sense. <laughs> does it <laughs> yeah i mean so your your person's missing and you're like oh well let me just take care of some things and i'm hungry no uh, my anxiety would be through the roof mm-hmm. and i would probably not even have an appetite why is that the first thing that you do is maybe he had a long day at work and he just was super hungry so he thought i'll order some takeout and then maybe she'll come in the door in the meantime definitely that that's a possibility we can't rule that out maybe he had like low blood sugar we don't know maybe he had to eat he's like i can't find phoebe with low blood sugar you're right we can't rule that out either (laughs) okay all right so then at 701 p.m files were created on the computer again between 706 p.m and 709 p.m is when phoebe was found in the bin refuse room of her apartment building and again miss osla was the concierge that found her she ran from finding phoebe presumed dead and contacted her manager at 711 p.m there is no dispute that phoebe went through the refuse access point on the 12th floor of her apartment building which is also the floor she lived on with Antony. So this may be irrelevant, but the files that were created at 701, mm-hmm. did were they ever like determine what they were? 
ever if Phoebe possibly created them? That's a great question, Jennifer. <laughs> and it'd be amazing to know this answer if the police had taken the laptop into custody. But as we'll talk about later, they did not. Let's get into what happens next. Yes. Okay, so okay. when Phoebe was found by the building concierge, Miss Oslo, between 7.06 p.m. and 7.09 p.m., she was face up in the refuse room a short distance from the single door allowing access in and out of the room. She was wearing a gray tank top and blue jeans and it was held by a wide black leather belt. Top of her jeans were resting in a position below her thighs and her most significant injury was the near severance of her right foot at approximately two inches above her ankle. Oh my god. She was very traumatized, obviously, from what she saw and has no intention of doing any interviews about it. I could never imagine, you know, just another day at the job and, and you come across somebody in such bad state. Yeah, like their bodies distorted, severed limbs, blood all over the room, too. So it, what would you do? I, I don't think she did anything wrong. I think she just responded and she went and got help right away. And that's the best thing that you can do. Her pants were above her thighs, right? Or below her thighs? Right. So resting in a position like below her thighs. So it sounds like they were almost like at her knees. Does that mean they think there could have been like some kind of sexual assault or? They've actually ruled out any type of sexual assault. Some people that believe she may have tried to pull her jeans down to stop the bleeding, like to make some type of a tourniquet or something. And then there's some people that think that it happened when she was um, falling down the chute, which we'll get into that a little bit more later, but I don't know how her pants would have fallen down if she was going down a chute feet first. Right. But, but maybe they caught on something between the fall into the chute and into the been we don't know okay it's i just wanted to, to yeah we'll clear that up yeah she there is no evidence that she was sexually assaulted at all so between 7 27 p.m and 7 30 the ambulance officers arrived at the ground floor refuse room phoebe had not been moved prior to their arrival and they were not permitted to check her for signs of life and this was from some other police personnel that had arrived on the scene. They did not let any of the ambulance officers check on Phoebe. Now, is that standard protocol for the ambulance not to be able to check for signs of life? Not normally. In the case of a crime scene, it would be. So the police thought it was just a crime scene and she had already been deceased. There are comments made that they should have let the ambulance personnel check her for signs of life in case she was still alive and they could have done something. Right, because there's that big window of time where we yes. don't know when she ended up there. Exactly. And so at 7.40, there were, again, files created on the shared laptop in Phoebe and Anthony's apartment. And the type of analysis that was done did not determine whether the files were created like automatically or not. So... They could have been created by Phoebe earlier in the day or by Antony later in the day. Then at 8.03 p.m., Antony buzzed in a delivery man for his takeout. Of and, course, right? How could we forget? Right. And soon after discovered that Phoebe was deceased. So he went downstairs and was told that a deceased person had been found. He states that his heart sank because he knew it was her. He gave a description of Phoebe and identified himself. And the police instructed him to go back upstairs. And shortly afterwards, a detective arrived and confirmed to him that the deceased person was in fact Phoebe. So Antony's statement to police was, that he believed Phoebe's alcohol abuse and depression caused her to take her own life. He further stated to police that when he arrived home that evening, he had noticed a shrine on their bed. The alleged shrine included a photo of himself, a photo of her cat, and some small candles by the bedside table. The police later established that the items he had described were located separately on two bedside tables, and he told the police that he was aware of her struggle with depression through the course of their relationship, and that he had even attended a doctor visit with her regarding the same. But let's back up and talk about the shrine. 
Well, we have to discuss the shrine because to me, it just sounds like there was home decor. Home decor in the house, right. <laughs> yeah. So if that's the case, I mean, Summer, you have a bunch of shrines I, I, in your house. My entire house is a shrine. <laughs> so I don't know what to make of a statement about is her. their cause for concern? Here? I don't think so. Or you should be really concerned about my house. There's shrines happening everywhere. So then at 8.46 p.m., Detective Sergeant Butterworth arrived on the scene and began his investigation. Oh, my God. Detective I love this name. (laughs) It's great. Sounds like it's from a book. It does. Like a a, detective type of comic. He's investigating waffles. His name is iconic. It's great. This name gives you a lot to live up to, right? It does. It's a fabulous name. He better live up to his name, that's all I'm saying. Well, don't get your hopes up. (laughs) So when he arrived on the scene, he saw, obviously, Phoebe. And he also noticed a rotating carousel in the center of the room, which contained five spots where wheelie bins would sit underneath in their fittings. Above the carousel was a suspended, computer-controlled rubbish compactor. One of the bins had fallen from its fitting and was lying near Phoebe on the floor. A smeared blood trail was found on the floor and the wall, and the trail was extended around the carousel. I guess it would be her in a completely dark room looking for a way out. So are these bins like being rotated or is that how that works? Is that why there's a carousel? Correct. So when the bags come down into one bin, when it's full, the carousel rotates and then an empty bin will be under the trap door of the compactor. Okay. So the trail of blood is inside of the bin. The trail of blood is actually around the carousel. So the carousel is kind of in the center of the room. And so It's like she fell out of a bin and dragged herself around the room looking for the door. Oh, oh my God. And at that time she had her foot like Her foot was nearly severed. Right. So she couldn't walk and the room was dark. And obviously she's still alive at this point. She's still alive trying to find a way out. God, that's just terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. So in the coroner's report, they later found out that there was significant staining of the floor on the room, which would be consistent with someone with leading injuries, obviously dragging themselves around the room. So it's, I think it's confirmed she was looking for a way out. During the investigation, a bag came down the refuge. So the police then placed signs in each of the refuse rooms requesting that residents not use the chute until police had cleared the scene. So while this investigation is happening, a new bag just comes down the chute. So they don't even block off like the crime scene. Not beforehand, no. And this, I guess it would kind of be a strange crime scene. Maybe they were just unfamiliar because there's no record of anybody dying this way in Australia. Did they they not know if that's like where she fell from? Maybe they were still trying to determine like her entrance point they could have been maybe they didn't maybe they didn't assume that she came through the compactor okay so that could possibly explain that what was believed to be traces of blood were found in one of two of the elevators that service the building and also on the concrete floor in the foyer level of the car park but neither of those had been secured it was later discovered to be the blood of a cabinet maker who had cut himself on that day while working in the basement of the apartment building No other blood samples were collected at the scene Uh, that matched his. So he was ruled out as a suspect. So it seems like they're not really taking the precautions to contain that crime scene or the possible crime scene. It it doesn't sound like it from what I've read. They didn't tape things off very early on. And uh, yeah, it could be contaminated. Oh, Butterworth, you're (laughs) letting me down right now. (laughs) That's your boy. I know. Not right now. (laughs) Is that your Sasha of the episode? Like in Diat Love, Sasha was my favorite. 
It's either Yoshi or Butterworth. Oh, stick with Yoshi. That's a safer bet. I, you might be right. Yeah. Okay. So on to, uh, this is now December 3rd. So the next day, early morning, 2.40 a.m., Phoebe's body was removed from the scene by the government undertaker. It is noted that additional cuts and abrasions were observed on her legs, back, and buttock area. At 4.55 a.m., fingerprints were sought from all relevant areas to include the refuse chute on the 12th floor. So they did have somebody go and check her fingerprints. At 5.40 a.m., the scene was cleared and the detectives returned to the road office where the homicide squad was briefed. Then, on December 8th, Phoebe's death was written off as a suicide by the homicide squad. Well, right off the bat, I have questions. <laughs> Why? Okay, so if it's ruled a suicide and there are no fingerprints, how is that even possible? That's a good question. And if there are no fingerprints, was it because they were cleaned off by like cleaning staff or someone else? Right, like a third party. So did they interview anyone on the cleaning staff or... Anything about that specific thing? Because if it was a suicide, you'd think her her hands would be on a handle. She would have fingerprints all over that if she put herself down that chute, right? Exactly. And then if she had a cut hand from the glass in the apartment, there should be also her blood on the chute door handle. Exactly. Yep. That's what I'm thinking. But they found none of that. They do say in the coroner's investigation that it is no fingerprints of value. That's kind of suspicious. It seems a little suspicious that they didn't find any blood from her hand when she's apparently put herself down this chute. It's declared a suicide, so they're saying that she put herself down the chute. If she had to put herself down the chute, she would have had to have pulled down the handle to get herself in there. But we'll get into that, too. We'll go into the chute in more detail. Okay. Here's some additional facts you might find interesting. The CCTV footage was not requested in a timely manner and was recorded over a few days after Phoebe's death. Two officers had seen some of the CCTV tapes, but there is no information on whether there were any further inquiries with these two officers. Now, this is the CCTV footage of their floor. Uh, They have CCTV footage that they also record of the bin refuse floor. So they could have seen if anyone had gone into that room during the time Phoebe died. And it was just not taken. It was not taken. And it was recorded over. And the two officers that did view some of the CCTV footage, there was no further interviews with them. Nothing. Makes sense. That's Like I said, Butterworth is doing his job. (laughs) Disappointed. Yoshi. Stick with Yoshi. Uh, It is also noted that the computer's mouse had blood on it, but it was not taken into custody. Once again, I would ask why. But why ask why? It just seems to go with the theme of this investigation. I agree. Also, the bag that was found in the bin into which it was believed that Phoebe had fallen was not retrieved to check if the contents were related to anything in her apartment. And that could have been the bag with shattered glass or something. Like what she was cleaning up and it may have had clues, but we don't know because they never... This is a thorough investigation, let me just say. Super thorough. It's A1. (laughs) Five out of five stars I recommend. <laughs> right. <laughs> so when the ambulance officer arrived at the scene, they were not permitted to access Phoebe to check for signs of life. Once Detective Butterworth arrived, it was already believed that she had been deceased. And we kind of already went over that a little bit. The notes Detective Sergeant Butterworth made on the night of Phoebe's death cannot be found. What does that mean? Like he lost them? Or? It means he needs to lose his five stars. 
he is severely disappointing me at this point. <laughs> yeah, Not living too. up to his name. No. Investigate the waffles. <laughs> yeah. <in> better word. <laughs> no fingerprints of any value were located on the first or 12th floor disposal rooms. And we have talked about this a bit. We're not sure why there's no fingerprints of Phoebe's if she was the one that put herself down the chute. That just is so confusing to me. Regarding the text that was sent out to Antony and family that some felt was concerning that previous day, Antony states that he felt it meant she was okay, but he understood family members being concerned. One of the worried recipients of the text message called Antony, and he stated that he would go check on her. Antony later told a detective that he did go home mid-morning to check on her. However, swipe card logs show he came home at 12.40 p.m. rather than mid-morning, and he exited the building 10 minutes later. So this was the previous day. I don't know that this, like, raises any red flags for me because his timing could just be slightly off. But what about you? What do you think? He checked on her, maybe. I don't know. To me, I think... His level of concern is just way different. It's lower than, than what you would have, I think. Yeah. yeah I if think... I got something like that, I mean, if you got something like that, would you just go back to go to work and no. act like it's... I would want to check and make sure they were okay. At least like a day, right? Right. Maybe take the day to... Yeah, just make sure they're okay. Yeah. I mean, she has a history of depression. There is record of her speaking to a psychologist. She was taking medication for depression. So she did struggle with depression. And he states that he knew this. So if he knew that she struggled with depression, yeah, why wouldn't he maybe take more precaution? I guess to him, maybe was it just another day? Just Maybe the, is this repeated behavior? It could be. Yeah, maybe he just thought, well, you know, she's been like this before and then things have been fine. Yeah, okay. Phoebe's cell phone that was later recovered. It was from, it was at a repair shop and it was recovered by Antony's father, who is a now retired Supreme Court justice. It was recovered on December 7th of 2010 and was given to the police the same day. Antony later stated that he believed that it was possible he may have accessed messages sent to Phoebe before the phone was handed over to the police, but that he had no recollection of doing so. He did not dispute that messages sent to her had been read, even one sent as late as 8.16 p.m. when we know she was already dead. So so he checked these after they got the phone back. Yes. That's what, okay. He, and so he, but he also says he doesn't recall doing it, but he doesn't deny doing it. So it's one of those, like, I'm not saying I did, not saying I didn't. Do you think he's checking the phone to see, you know, if there was any red flags or? He could have been. Maybe he just wanted to see, did she send any last messages to give us some clue of what happened? But he also testified that following the return of the phone, the SIM card uh, or the SIM card was returned with the phone to Antony and neither can be found. He has told police, I don't know where it is anymore. Wow. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of convenient mishaps here. A lot of things going wrong in this investigation. Antony was asked by a detective about a file download from his computer on October 19, 2010, an application for release of body document under the Coroner's Act. Antony stated that he had no explanation for the opening of this file and that Phoebe also used the computer which contained the download. Seems like a strange document to just be searching for online. Unless you're a true crime podcast like us, don't check our search history. It's a little suspicious. <laughs> it's a little suspicious. <laughs> But if you're not a true crime podcast, it, it does seem like a strange document to just look up. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. He was an event promoter, so he wasn't in the medical field. Is he trying to say that Phoebe looked that up? Right. He said it could. He said they had a shared computer, so Phoebe could have looked it up too. But why? That's a good question. I don't know why either of them would have looked it up. That's 
a very specific document. It is. And then like what happens two months later, that's, she that dies. just adds to the many questions. It adds to the questions. When Antony was questioned about Phoebe and whether or not he had any involvement in her death, his response was absolutely not. He has denied having any involvement in her death and he has not been charged with anything. So we do want to say that nobody's been charged. So Phoebe's family fought for an inquest into her death. They did not believe that she would commit suicide by throwing herself down a garbage chute. And her mother researched garbage chute deaths, and there were no recorded deaths of anyone in Australia dying in this manner. And only two reports in the U.S. Both were in Baltimore, Maryland, both at the Park Charles apartment complex, and both individuals went headfirst into the chute. And of course, as we know, they all believe Phoebe went feet first into the chute. And one case was in August of 2010, a 30-year-old man, and the other happened about a year later in 2011 with a 23-year-old woman. The deaths were declared accidental, and there were no links made to the cases. And in the case of the 30-year-old man, there are reports that he had alcohol and a powerful sleeping pill in his system. Because I was curious about what Phoebe's family thought about this and they they talk about it a lot in phoebe's fall which is a podcast that was created by the age and it's a great podcast if this story is interesting to you listen to that podcast they do a wonderful job going into the inquest and what the family believes um about the investigation and her family absolutely doesn't believe that she would number one kill herself but they say okay on the chance that it was a suicide we believe that she would have done something poetic in that manner, not put herself down a garbage chute. They just say it just doesn't make sense with who she was as a person and they're just not buying it. They don't believe it. Yeah. Well, I, I think I have to agree with the family. I agree with them. And even Phoebe's grandfather, a retired detective, decided to begin his own investigation regarding his granddaughter's death. And he inquired with the Westatch Engineering Services and they managed the shoot devices. So he would go into these simulations in Phoebe's fall, go online and Google the video because it's very difficult to get even a petite person down this tiny little chute. Yeah, because what were the um, me the measurements of that again? So the measurements of the chute, the actual opening was no bigger than like a laptop. So think about, uh, we're looking at a laptop right here. Wow. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm looking at this now. I got to fit my hips into that. <laughs> There's course, no way. I mean, and Phoebe was petite. So obviously they do believe she was put down the chute um, and could fit down there, but it would have been very difficult. And this is her grandfather's stance. Like he doesn't, he believes that she was put down the chute, but he believes she could not have done it unassisted. And if anything, like it, you just can't, I mean, I just can't imagine someone fitting in that size. No. Like easily. Not easily. Exactly. Okay, so now we get to the coroner's inquest and um, the family finally did get the inquest into Phoebe's death after fighting for it for nearly three years. And what a coroner's inquest is, is it's completed through a coronal investigation and it is not a trial, but it has some similar elements of a trial. Like for instance, there are contested opponents. Obviously, Phoebe's family is contesting the results of the homicide squad's findings. And the witness statements may be read from witnesses who are not present during the hearing or from live witnesses. There also can be a jury included in this process, but it's not common. And the coroner is the one who would request it. So it's at their discretion. There is no judgment against an individual at the conclusion of the investigation. However, the coroner's report or inquest will include findings as to the believed cause of death. 
So the inquest took place over a two-month period between August 5th of 2013 and October 10th of 2013. Counsel assisting the coroner was Miss, and I'm going to butcher her name, but it, I think it is Semensma. She was the attorney assisting the coroner in this investigation. There was also a solicitor, Miss Gebert, who was assisting. Several of Phoebe's family members testified, as well as a psychiatrist and a psychologist, both had treated Phoebe and detectives involved in the investigation of Phoebe's case. Several hearings were held regarding this inquest. There's too much information for us to cover in this episode, so we will put a link up on our Facebook page for any of you that would like to look at the entire 87-page report. Yeah, you did a great job with the research in this case. So nice. Thank you. (laughs) And with that pronunciation as well. We'll see. So there is no argument that Phoebe ended up in the refuse room by way of the 12th floor entry point. This is the same floor on which she and her boyfriend, Anthony, had resided at the time. The medical cause of death and the functional aspects of the chute and machine compactor were examined. So initially it was believed that it wasn't possible for Phoebe to pass through the compactor with the system in normal automatic operating mode. But... Then it was later determined that she most likely passed through the chute in automated mode since like an object passing the light sensor would activate the compactor, which would then operate the compactor blade. The compactor blade is designed to compress the garbage bags with substantial force using a hydraulic cylinder exerting a force of 3.3 tones. And we looked this up. It was like over a ton per tone. So that times three and some change? And some change. Some heavy change. So that's... Over three tons. With that amount of force? With that amount of force. And already falling from that? Already falling. 11 stories. Yes. Jesus. They say it could be possible for Phoebe to obviously pass through the chute, activate the sensor, and for the compactor to compress to a certain point to where it would be releasing her and ejecting her into a bin. So do they think that, did they think before that it was done manually? They did. There was some suspicion. They think somebody was down there and turned it on. But then they later discovered that she could have passed down there and the light sensor would have activated the blade. Got you. Okay. The inside diameter of the chute was a little over one and a half feet. So not really big. And it was made of galvanized steel. And I read that it can be like quite abrasive galvanized steel. So that could be why she had so many scrapes on her as she fell down through that chute. Oh, So maybe like the force of that when she was falling. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And the opening of the chute was even smaller though, at only 17 inches wide, like we had talked about. So it's slightly wider than a laptop. Like I said before, that's hard to imagine. And the door of the chute had a handle and it had like two strong return springs. She would have had to have held the door down and then put herself in feet first without getting any fingerprints or blood from her cut on the wall, on the handle on the chute and then put herself down there it seems like a very planned suicide she didn't want anyone to know that that's what it was right that would seem strange it seems unlikely i'm assuming she didn't know that there was a compactor blade down there yeah i don't think anyone would choose to go out that way so technically phoebe could have fit down the chute because of her petite size and she would have hit a reflector which is a 45 degree angle and it slows down the bags that are coming down the bin and then the blade comes down to compress the bags 
Once the compression blade comes down, the bags are then sent through the trap door and the space between the cutting edge of the blade and the interior wall of the compactor bin was extremely small. I think that her foot may have been caught on the other side of the compactor blade as it came down and maybe that is why her foot was nearly severed and only holding on by a thin muscle tendon. What do you think? I, I think you're right. So the coroner established that Phoebe could have entered the chute at some point between 12.03 p.m. and 7.09 p.m. And of course, there's such a, a wide time range there because nobody checked her for signs of life. So the coroner was unable to get a smaller timeline of her death. And that just leaves so much room for speculation. So it's not clear whether Phoebe was deceased when the concierge found her, but it is believed that she was deceased when the officers arrived on the scene. So it was determined that she fell 11 stories. Unbelievable. That's crazy. That alone is going to create some major injuries. She did have a blood alcohol level of 0.16. She's going to be three times the legal limit, highly impaired. It's going to be difficult to maintain posture and her gait would be affected. She also had Zolpidem, which is a prescription sleeping pill. I've Heard it also refer referenced to as Stillnox in other podcasts. And it was found in her system at a level of 0.2 milligrams per liter at postmortem. So therapeutic levels of this drug are usually at 0.1 to 0.02 milligrams per liter. And so therefore they determined that this level postmortem would suggest that she may have taken a high dose many hours prior to her death. Was this something that was prescribed to her? She had no prescription for this sleeping pill. Antony did, though. So she had access through him. He denies giving her access to his medications, but of course he did have the drug. So yes, she could have obtained it. I guess, you know, it's definitely a possibility. What I don't understand is if she was, you know, already so impaired mm -hmm. and she has a sleeping drug in her system, how was she so coordinated to do all of this? That's... My question, too, because I don't see how she could be three times the legal limit with a sleeping pill in her system. And we know it was at a high level and she's able to put herself without leaving any fingerprints or any trace into the garbage chutes. I cannot imagine someone being able to do that. I can't either. She also did have duloxetine in her system, which is an antidepressant and nerve pain medication, but they did not establish whether or not an overdose or poisoning was implied. So it, it did sound like she, she had this in her system, but it doesn't sound like it had any effect or didn't impair her. Yeah. It was I'm, an alcohol and the Zolpidem. And once again, I would be on the floor if this was <laughs> like on all of that. There would be no way. I know. It, it doesn't make sense to me that I don't see how she could have put herself down there unassisted. So she received multiple extensive injuries to her body. And there's so many injuries. I won't read all of them off, but there's some that may relate to the suspicious third party. Oh. Like if that's where people want to believe that maybe a third party was involved. So there are multiple abrasions on her right elbow, and she also had some bruising over her knuckles and like some scattered bruises and abrasions over her other elbow, left wrist. If you think about defending yourself and maybe holding up your hands or, you know, using blocking somebody, uh, that could be a defensive wound. There is a report regarding the superficial bruising to the right arm, and she also had bruising on her neck and grazes to her lower back. And regarding those, 
injuries. It said the appearance of the bruises are those of recent injuries of no specific appearance that would be consistent with grip marks, although certainly not specific for same. Now, there are defensive injuries to the fingers and nails, it sounds like, because the report said it was determined that Phoebe had no defensive injuries to the fingers or fingernails. However, the minor injuries that were discovered on the back of her hand and on her elbows could not be ruled out as defensive injuries, even if they were minor. So the injuries I first told you about, it sounds like they're not ruling them out as defensive injuries. They could have been. Okay. Well, um, then that really backs up like the third party theory. Possibly a third party involved. So the report references some things about Phoebe's mental state and her relationship with Antony. It talks about her ongoing struggle with mental illness and with alcohol and drug abuse. And it also mentions ongoing difficulties in connection with her relationship with Antony. But it, so it appears the family was aware of her struggles with alcohol and with depression. Uh, the relationship of Antony and Phoebe was described by her psychologist as volatile. Antony's response regarding his relationship with Phoebe was that it was very up and down, but he also states that they were fond of each other and that the relationship was good when she wasn't drinking. Yeah, it definitely sounds toxic to me. Her grandmother, with whom she had a close relationship, stated that she sensed Phoebe was uncomfortable in her own home. Both Phoebe's grandmother and her mother observed the apartment having no signs of Phoebe at all because her personality was very bohemian and artsy. It just seemed to look a certain way due to how Antony wanted the apartment to appear. The rest was like his design and it was at this luxury apartment building. So maybe he just wanted to keep it a certain way. What do you think about that? I mean, it definitely seems like he has more input in, you know, the decorating and maybe... That's why her shrines were so like out of place for him. <laughs> I don't want your shrines around here, <laughs> around my marble countertops. <laughs> exactly. Could be. It definitely adds like a level of maybe control to his character. It does seem like he had more say in some aspects of the relationship and their interactions. Yeah. But she seems like she's like a fun personality. I would want to be friends with her. Yeah. She seems like she was a lot of fun. Very artsy. Oh, we, yeah. we would have loved her. Absolutely. Something of note, eight years later, after Phoebe's death, a young woman named Bailey Schneider, a 25-year-old part-time model and dental assistant from Melbourne, Australia, was found dead at her parents' home on the kitchen floor with a gold cord wound around her neck, but they couldn't determine where she had hung herself from. Local police still ruled it a suicide, even though a point of hanging could not be determined. The toxicology report showed three times the legal driving limit of alcohol, and traces of cocaine. Earlier on the morning of her death, Bailey had told her mother that she had just broken up with her then 51-year-old boyfriend, Anthony Hample. Bailey's parents pushed for further investigation. As of December of 2019, it is still an active case, but it does not appear that anyone has been charged or arrested. So how do you come to the determination that it's suicide when there's no point of hanging. That seems very strange to me. Like, is it easy for them to just say it's a suicide and they're done with the investigation? Like, is it because she was drinking and she had drugs in her system? They just figure it was a suicide? Maybe that just adds to the open and shut kind of mentality. Like, oh, she was under some kind of influence and 
And now she's got a cord around her neck that must have been... So must like, have been a suicide. Even though we cannot determine where. Where she would have hung herself from. It does look like, you know, strangulation could also be a possibility. And it is an open case, so maybe we'll have more information on this and we can give an update on it later. Because yes, I'm interested to know, like, what the outcome is in this case. Mm -hmm. So getting down to the theories, Jennifer, let's talk about suicide. First of all, nobody's ever committed suicide by throwing themselves down a garbage chute, at least... I couldn't find anything online about it. And I don't think that would be my first choice. Def it just doesn't make sense with the type of person she was and how they describe her as artistic, poetic, and had a lot, like a good family support system. She had plans that day to go meet her family. Right. So why that day would she decide to do that? And it seemed like earlier in the day she was in a fine mental state. At least, you know, she was out doing activities. Yeah, so this one I have a hard time with just because if you're in that state and then you're taking substances, how would you have, number one, the balance to put herself unassisted into the shoot? And the strength. Yeah. That takes a lot of effort. Right. She had plans to meet her dad at this restaurant. She was looking forward to it. And that doesn't mean that someone is not going to commit suicide because they have plans, because obviously people have done that before, but it just doesn't seem likely. What about yeah. you? I did not have that starred. That's not starred for me either. No. So we're, we're both on the no to suicide. We don't believe that happened with Phoebe's case. No. Okay. Okay, what about accidental death due to mental impairment from drugs and alcohol? So one of the theories that I came across was that she may have accidentally dropped something down the chute while putting the garbage down and then tried to get it. Yeah, I can see that. It definitely could be a possibility, but being that nobody checked what was down there, right. it's hard to know if that was what she was doing. That's true. And how could she balance with that blood alcohol level and that high amount of zolpidem in her system? So even if it was an accident, how could she have still managed to put herself in there unassisted, not get any marks on the shoot door or around the shoot? Yep. I, I mean, I would definitely be on the floor. Uh, once again. Because <laughs> we have trouble walking in straight lines sober. Exactly. In flats. Nobody needs to know. I mean... <laughs> But then I still kind of lean towards no, because I don't think she would have had the balance to do it. Yeah, it's something we can't rule out. I think it is a possibility. Okay. The third one is foul play. So there are several theories about third party or even someone she knew placing her down the chute after a fight or an altercation. She was a petite woman, so it seems that it's possible someone could have placed her in the chute. So these are the persons that we know had access to Phoebe during the time of her death. Anthony, her boyfriend, the apartment employees, Mr. Kurt Sari, who rented a car space from Anthony. But with him, it was later established that there was no swipe records used from his card. So he was not a suspect. And of course, there's always an unestablished third party. The Sunday Age obtained a copy of the submission written by assisting counsel. And this was Melbourne barrister Miss Semensma, who advised that the balance of probabilities from the evidence meant the possibility of third party involvement, including that of Mr. Hample, could not be excluded. She submitted that the evidence only permitted an open finding to be made on the cause of Miss Hendrick's death. Now, I agree with this. I think it's likely that a third party was involved. Just based on, for me, what the most telling thing is, is that there are no fingerprints from Phoebe 
to be found anywhere. And I'm on the same page with you. I, I definitely, it's raising flags. I think there was a third party involved in her death. And so if the attorney for the coroner is even saying that, I think it's Yeah, assisting counsel said that it should be an open finding and it wasn't, so. And it's just sad because it's a closed case now, right? Well, actually, so in 2018, the Andrews government changed the law to make it easier for families to appeal what they believe to be a wrongful coronal finding. And the Handstruck family's inability to mount a legal challenge to Mr. White's finding, like as highlighted in the Phoebe's Fall podcast, was the catalyst for the reforms. Okay, so that means that it can be like it can be challenged now. now. Yes, it can now be challenged. It is very expensive to challenge that. It costs a lot of money obviously to hire attorneys and to go through the process. They do have a page up where you can donate to the family. They've already raised, I think it's over uh, 40 or 50,000 dollars towards the fees associated with that process. And I think the fees are in excess of 60,000 dollars for this process. You know, it just, at least that's something good that came out of this. Yes, I agree. And there is a Facebook page that Phoebe's, it seems like Phoebe's mom runs it. So it's run by her family. And on May 8th of 2020, on what would have been her 34th birthday, her mom wrote a post. And I think I'm going to have you read this because every time I read it, I cry. Okay. So I'm going to let you read what her mom uh, wrote to Phoebe on what would have been her 34th birthday. Absolutely. So it states... Happy birthday, my darling girl, 34 years old today. I wonder what you'd be like now if you had the chance to live. I miss you so very much and remember vividly holding you on this very day for the first time, wrapped up safely in a soft pink blanket, looking into your dear little face with those gentle, wise soul eyes of yours. I wish I could have kept you safe always, protected you when you needed it most. Fly, my angel daughter, fly. It just breaks your heart. It does. And I think it just makes you realize it's not just a story, that this is a real person that died, somebody's sister, Mm -hmm. daughter, granddaughter, and the family is still hurting. Like, they love her, miss her every day. I know. Even 11 years later. Yeah. So hopefully they can raise enough money to try and reopen the case or the investigation. To get some answers. They're a family that misses Phoebe, and they just want to know what really happened to her. This was a... This was a fully caffeinated episode. Yes. What do you guys think? You know what we think. And we're on the same page with this one. If you are interested or want to help the family find some answers, they do have a website which you can donate to, which we will put in our our Facebook post and Instagram. And if you know of anybody or if you are having thoughts of suicide, please reach out, get some help, reach out to family, friends, or call the local suicide prevention numbers. Yes, and we'll also leave links to anything online that you know could help with that. So what's on for our next episode? If you're familiar with Hello Kitty, stay tuned because we have an interesting one coming up next episode. I'm intrigued. I had never heard of this. I don't want to give away too many details because we want to keep you guessing. That's right. Keep you coming back for more. But if you have any thoughts, any feedback, any ideas, please follow us or give us a like on Facebook and Instagram at Freshly Brewed Noir. And send us a Gmail at freshlybrewednoir at gmail.com. What was that thing that you're... Oh, my mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> so we're trying to think of, what, slogans? Yeah. And my mother-in-law, she thought of a good one. She asked me if you're listening to the podcast, do you have to wear pants? 
And I said, well, you don't have to wear pants. It's in the comfort of your own home. All you have to know is that no pants are required. We're we're marinating on that one as a potential. (laughs) It's not confirmed yet. So stay caffeinated and... (laughs) Pants are optional. Yeah, pants are optional. (laughs) All right, this is Summer. And Jennifer. A Freshly Brewed Noir. See you next time. Yeah, see you next episode. Bye.